cultures are just like how Maori culture are. Like, but Maori culture are like how Aborigines are in uh, Australia. You know, they're living in a pretty traditional lifestyle, but they're they world. Whereas the Aboriginal people, they've kind of they put them in like little villages, but it's not in the right way. But I bet some of them are like, nah, this is mean. We like this village life, and I think we all want that anyway. Like that's why CKB is mm. the massive explode exploding so massive on here because we are a community and we we lust after that stuff like lust you know like lust is one of those like things where uh, it can take over and make you do dumb stuff but we lust to be at that environment to be part of that community more so than we would you know oh i want that money oh but will that money take me away from this like mm. this is more important than everything to us do you get the um... Do you get the feeling that there is kind of a shift, and not only it is it is it about connecting uh, traditional values with uh, the modern technology, but do you think that there's going to be like there are some things that just haven't been working, you know, whether it's um, whether it's economic systems, you know, there's there's a whole lot of new kind of uh, models coming up, and but do you think that the, the the answers have kind of been there all along? Like there have been ways of living and ways of kind of working together as a society that uh, you know have been doing pretty well for for a while, and maybe it's about going back to some of those values. Yeah, I believe so. I wrote a, I put a uh, after my last fight, I made a quote, and I uh, I did a thing. Because I was trying to make people understand how I treat this thing of being a famous and rich or whatever. Not that I am. But, you know, the, the image of an athlete today in modern world, I, I attribute it to, in my mind to make it make sense to me. Like, what I am is we're all in a village and I'm just, all I do is dedicate my time to catching kinna. And I just know all the meanest spots. But I do it for, like, fun. And that's why people are like, He's the man, G's got to, you know, it's not like, because um, you can get twisted in this world where people tell me, come up to me and be like, brother, you changed my life. Oh, la, la, la. And I, but it's not really true. They did all that stuff. They were inspired by me. And it'd be like this, if we were in a, a community in a village, they would be coming up to me and blowing me up. They would just be like, brother, you must be connected to Tangaro or something, eh? How you get your kinner, you know? It's like, mm. that makes more sense to me than trying to be like, oh, bro, I, I, I am a god among men. Because some <laughs> people would say that the craziest stuff you know but they're just caught up in the moment and that's yeah how i attribute a lot of things is like i'm just a kiwi boy on aotearoa and it's not like yeah i don't know but i think for the stuff to for indigenous or uh you know aboriginal cultures it's it's the culture it's like deep in your dna like i have friends that are maori people that own businesses and they even the ones you know leaning more towards like more western culture side they still have tikanga we call it you know tikanga that's the right way to do things they still have tikanga put into their to their business structures their company structures and i think that's the important thing like every morning we all as a community come together do a karakia because even if you're not religious you're connecting to like say your great grandmother that died 40 years ago she was alive and she that's what maori believe like man those are real ancestors even if you don't believe in god or like that trees have their own god or whatever like you still believe in that person definitely exists today mm. ah, it's just things like that you can i love our polynesian culture because it's practical it's not like super woo woo it's actually quite practical and it's very um based on like maori people being like oh i saw that old dude die my dad's gonna die i'm gonna die my kid's gonna die you know like a cycle and we just be like okay how do as p 
peace, love into the earth and I'll inject steroids into it and make it happen faster. But it's gotten us to a pretty good spot. And I think now it's just that, that culture is going to come in and take all the framework of capitalism and making people, um, you know, want things. We're going to change that into like, man, you want that spiritual connection or something. Because like, mm. we ain't going to change the world overnight, eh? It's not going to be like, oh, yeah, now we, we don't capitalism now. Oh, I don't want, I'll just give half my pay, take it all. It's not going to happen. It'll happen over a couple of generations. But I don't know, bro. It feels all connected because even like like our youth suicide rates, that mm. seem to me like it's like our kids are trying to tell us something. Because that will be the thing that will make any old fella you know, old fella that's like, oh, I could, when I make this business deal, I could give that two million that I meant to, to this project, or I could try and weasel it through my tax guy and this, this, that, and they only mm. get 40,000 and I get like a big chunk. If you're looking at like, oh shit, but this is going to kids, or you know, like, I don't know, man, but I don't know, four hours of training. <laughs> There's a few things there. I, 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 there's a few things there to talk about. I love that um, what you're saying about the the cycle. Because I used to, I used to spend a lot of time in Rarotonga with my grandmother, and she'd talk about the the genealogy, the whakapapa, and um, and I probably took it for granted. But then when you think back at it, and you, uh, you know, you have this knowledge of your, you can go back like 500 years by name of your ancestors that planted here and here and here. Mm. It sort of changes your perspective and things as well. And not only, uh, not only the back, uh, like looking backwards, but then thinking yeah. ahead. So you're very much part of a continuum. Do, do you think that continuum? That, I like that word. Continuum is that. So that's a, a repeated cycle. Oh, continuum. Yo. Sorry. Yeah. So does that then you? It, it, it is really humbling because you then it's not you, like you having to think about things in terms of future generations as well as paying yeah. homage to your to ancestors. On that note, that's a big thing of what pulled me out of my depressive state because I was like when I was going through it, I'd wake up. So we train every morning at nine a.m. You know, it's not a unreasonable time. It's a pretty how blessed am I to not have to get to work till nine a.m. But I'd wake up 8.58 a.m. And just like anxiety. And I'd just not get up. I'd oh, no, just, just shut the world away, put the, the covers over. Kept doing that. And then... It uh, happens, but just remember... Uh, oops, sorry. Someone's trying to call me. Um, Remembering that, that, yeah, bro. Like at some points I had to be hard on myself. Be like, gee, do you think my nanny tiny was the oldest living relative that I ever met? But like, do you think nanny tiny kid was like upset when she had to walk for four hours to get to, to the market, buy her shit and walk four hours back? Cause they grew up real like in the country. I was like, oh no, I bet she just fucking got up and did it. Eh? And I, you know, like that real actual human ancestor that I saw inspired me and she still does. And then sometimes it's like older people that I don't even know, never talk to. It's like they come in and they're like, they like give me a little whack or something. I don't know. But it's me knowing it makes me believe it. And I'm sure when other people understand their whakapapa, they'll explain it in other ways where they're like, oh, no, I'm doing it so that my name will be remembered. Like how are those people's names are remembered or something. Mm. Whereas I'm like, I'm just doing it because I don't want to get my ass kicked when I head up there. <laughs> then I'm like, bro. Remember that time? And I told you to go and you're like, nah, I want to go to sleep. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> All right. Take us, if, take us back to a simpler time, a time before COVID was a word that everyone knew. Uh, take us back to February 10, 2019, Rod Laver uh, Arena, 15,000 people around you. Um, you've just beaten Austin Arnott. You've given the microphone 
what goes through your head at that point? Uh, at that point, that was when I was like, oh, shit, I forgot I was going to do, I dedicated. So that whole fight camp leading up to it, every fight camp, you're always like, oh, I, I dedicate, you know, all that one 15-minute block you're building up, building up. Even this morning, I was like, yeah, 15 minutes in six weeks. It's all going to be about that 15 minutes. This was the first time where all I cared about, second actually, where all I cared about was, yeah, get that W, get the win. But then there's the corridor and I realized I have to be strong. And so when I got given that mic, I took a bit of an anxiety breath of how about just say, just say the bit about your mum, just say the Maori bit. And then just answer the damn guy's question. Don't say the word suicide. Don't bring up that you've had depression. Like all of those thoughts ran through my head fast. And if you watch back the video, I do like a little, like a little bit of a breath. And then I go, I think I did my incantation, which is the Maori part. And that probably what gave me the strength actually was like caught it all Maori. I was like, bro, that's easy. I can say words. But when I got given that mic, it didn't feel easy. It felt like, felt like I wanted to cry and I was like don't cry in the UFC bro and those are feelings that normally never even pass through this brain when I'm having fights it's just like I'm a rock I'm a stone that can't be broken or I'm a I'm a ball of lightning that's just gonna break someone you know it's not like oh I'm actually sensitive and yeah I have gone through some hard things and trying to expose show that and I think um I hope it came across in the video because yeah even though all it was was words for me that was more intimidating than walking out and all of that that, that when he passed the mic to me that moment you're speaking of that was quite quite intense but yeah i hope some kids draw energy from that when they realize like oh, he did all the fighting stuff but really it was speaking on his emotions that stronger mm -hmm. so that when they do it they realize oh i'm really scared to do this thing and then they do it and they're like oh wow I got to be proud of myself because maybe that's what some kids aren't doing. They're, they're doing speaking to their mates, but then afterwards they're not being like, gee, I'm like Shane Young and I'm a tough fella. Mm. <laughs> do you feel, do you feel that you've started to unravel something? Because that is a very kind of Kiwi thing, like to be stoic, to be, we're not all going mm. into a cage to fight, but you know, this kind of ball of lightning where we don't mm. talk on the emotional level. Do you think that is part of the, that's part of the problem when you look at the rates of suicide here? Mm. My opinion, I guess this would be, it's not a belief, but my opinion is the things that make New Zealanders, when you go from New Zealand, you travel around the world, everyone for a little country of only 4 million, most of the world's population knows of New Zealand or Kiwis, it's like they think of us as like maybe Canadians, but when they meet us, they're like on a whole nother level. Cause I've seen it in people's eyes when they meet Kiwis and Kiwi men, they're like, there's something different about us. Like we're humble on a level that is quite deeply ingrained. But the reason we're so humble on another level is because we keep getting humbled day in, day out by everyone. And that humbling, it's how that humbling happens, which is where it can be thing. Cause I've been humbled in ways where it, it was constructive, um, and I didn't get any instruction afterwards. Like, hey, we did this because we love you and we're just trying to make you feel better. I I could ascertain that from how it was delivered. And then there's been other times where it's just felt like people were trying to like, hey, cry. We want to see you cry. We want to see you run away. We want to, but really they're like, they're just, that's how we do it in New Zealand. That's how we've made some amazing men, but it's also killing our men. So it's like a balance. Everything in life is like, like a double-edged sword and when you're operating on both ends of the spectrum like new zealand like we're the small one of the smallest countries and we're just pushing 
world's best at rugby, world's best at fighting, some of the world's best innovators, some of the world's best business people. Like, look at Grant Baker, um, guys like Pat McPhee, um, Jacinda were world leaders. You know, even with Christchurch, we, as a world leader, we took it on board like as a country in a different way to any other country. We blew people's uh, minds away. But to get there, we've had to, yeah, it's, that's why men are killing themselves as well. It's like we're, I don't know, it's like training. If you go to the gym and you train real hard and you, you at the end of it, you're going to have this awesome result. But in the medium between here and there, you're breaking your body down and mentally you're breaking yourself down. And there's a lot of tears. Every fighter will go through tears. I don't care who the, well, not tears, but feelings of like those downward feelings. You've got to go to that place to get all the way up. And I think as a country, we must be going to that place down there to go up. That's my belief. That's how I want to, that's my opinion. And that's how I view it because how I got involved with all this was, it is not like it is Kiwi men, but it's Pacific Island kids. Eh? Mm. That's how I was brought to it. So in my mind, I see it as, it sounds real twisted, but I see it as my, our kids, Polynesian kids, because our cultures, we've been attributed a task or something. We don't know, but it's part of the world does need to change slowly but it's like our culture's been attributed that task and that's why our kids are like be careful i want to be careful with the wording of this because it's just how i do it to keep doing it because I, at one point i didn't want to do this stuff anymore i was like bro i need a backup out of mental health because the stuff you realize and the 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 if you have empathy inside you you can put yourself in the places that they go and it gets dark but for me to keep pushing and believing that it, what i am doing is going to help is I believe that in a way what they've done, those that have taken their own lives in the past, let's like not do it anymore right from here onwards. But those kids that have done it in the past up to this point, they have sacrificed themselves for a better world in the future. Maybe mm -hmm. not this generation, but next, you know, uh, where stuff like Jeffrey Epstein doesn't happen. That just should not be, you know, that's one example. Mm -hmm. like we had, you know, so many of the world's elite doing this messed up stuff but i think a couple generations it'll be the point where like that stuff won't happen hopefully when you're talking about um you know you're talking about empathy and and the scale of uh the the problem with um with youth suicide and depression and that kind of thing like that level of empathy that seems like a different world to one where you've got to go into the cage and as you say be this ball of lightning that is there to kind of you know uh, take down the other person. How do those two worlds, how do they work together for you? I do not know because it was a first for me. But I, what I can tell you is I don't know. I don't know if it was. I don't think it did work. As much as I got the W and I did the corridor, I don't know if it did actually work because from there I actually didn't. It got a bit worse for me internally thinking about yeah, I don't know if it works that way. I, I'm still learning, but I think there's, there has to be a way. I've talked to other people that are older men that have been, I will call like mental health champions. People like Sir John, like Mike King, the comedian, Grant Richard, he's a leading CEO at Spark. Um, and they've, they've got toolkits, you know, there's like ways you've got to figure out a way to do it without taking it all on because yeah that person that you're taking on they've got their tucky but there's another one and another one and another one mm. um so i'm still learning it but that fight camp i went pretty deep and 
and it showed afterwards. But this, what helped me was my culture because I was told by a leading tohunga that when Māori men would go to battle, they would come home and they'd be separated just like how in America, PTSD, we understood PTSD when back in wow. indigenous cultures. So they'd be separated from everyone, be in dark rooms a lot, you know, just have time to process. Holy fuck. I remember when I killed that dude and I saw the look in his eyes when he died, you know, they process that stuff. That was like one of my great, great granddads would have been like, Oh, like, you know, go through that. And then you come out the other side. But I think I just went through that, but in a mental, like, cause I, put myself mentally in some where some kids particularly in the north of Auckland because I've been there a lot and I see how beautiful it is but then I also know the rates and I'm like man that house could have one four houses down could have another one in a month so I'd like I think I had to put myself there maybe to actually say the speech because I if I hadn't put myself there day in day out in the lead up maybe I would have got up got up to him like nah it's all good someone else can say it mm. someone else can bring it up like i'm all good i don't need to bring it up but um yeah i don't know because like this is the first time i drew in there and um it's hard work <laughs> you put it yeah. you put a call out for people to reach out to you as well did, did people take yeah. you that? yeah they did and again i wasn't Oh, not wasn't quite prepared. But you can never. It's like when I had my son, who I've just—he's just—he's eight months old, uh, eight weeks old today. I, when it happened, as soon as I knew the test was out, I was like, I'm ready. But I, instead of, there was like a part of me that knew I was ready, but then there was this massive other pit that was like, but you got no house. Um, you've actually hasn't had a fight in over a year. You blah blah blah, all these things. But I just forgot about them, and I just kept pushing them away. Um, and I think. I've lost my point is what I think. Um, uh, Some people reaching out to you. Oh yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, um, I wasn't quite ready for that stuff. And it, that's affected me more because then I got bombarded with more, uh, you know, stories of what people have been through and stuff. And I lent as many little helping because all it was was messages. You know, there's only so much you can do over a message, but um that's why I've realized now I need to educate myself and build up a mental health toolkit so that when people do come to me, I'll have like a little, because I'm not a counselor, but I can tell them I did this. I need to understand what I actually do. Mm. So I can say, I just do this. Like I spend a lot of time at the ocean when I'm going through mental health stuff. I like going too into the water. Um, I like if I'm actually deep in mental health stuff, I, I love crying. I feel like it leaves me, I laugh at the end of it. I don't know. Um, but going forward, uh, I'm gonna um, be more careful with how I express the stuff because this mahi is very delicate. It's very mm. delicate when you're dealing with mental health. It's you got to be switched on and working into the space. It takes a lot of responsibility. So I'm just slowly moving into. I jumped in head first after that speech, but now I realise it's so delicate. We're just gonna work together build up a team and stuff so um i hope to just keep inspiring through pushing out maori culture for now not really focusing on using mental health do some mahi outside of it but when i perform mm -hmm. i want to rep maori culture and make sure that people feel included in that maori culture just on the on the mental health thing uh one one more moment, but it's not really, yeah, it's not really your responsibility, right? To have a, to have a talk at it's, it's sort of the rest of us too, because we've all got friends and family. Um, is there anything that you would like to see sort of changed in the, 
and not it's not necessarily government responsibility but just overall community responsibility where we actually all uh, you know try to work that toolkit out yeah okay i'm gonna try and word this so that it's a beautiful little story that you don't have to like chuck out all my shanisms of ums and ers <laughs> but an example of what i would like to see in the everyday community mainly not just people on the street but uh i guess business communities uh hobby communities you know people cricket indoor cricket communities family house group communities is something that i saw recently at city kickboxing and it's part of the culture and it's happening slowly because in a year two years ago maybe you wouldn't have seen a conversation like this but this is how it went a friend of ours has not been coming to the gym because of um reasons sort of outside of his control that have been basically keeping him down mentally but he he can come to the gym he's allowed to but i know where he's at in his mind but the the conversation that happened was i reached out to one of his flatmates that lives with him and i asked him things that i even really know were important in regards to mental health i was saying oh what's his demeanor like at house does he respond to you when you speak to him is he on his phone a lot um does he go out and hang out with people does he spend time in his room you know all these like i didn't know these things but these were just it's pretty much common sense and then the conversation flowed and we were talking about oh what about this person hang on sorry someone's at the door um yeah this person that person um hey, bro. Yeah, both of us. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's our one. And Michelle. Oh, that was mine. Oh, cool. Thank you. Sweet. The next one is one Uh, Yeah, these two are together. Together? Oh, yeah. 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 The right one, this one, Palace, right? Oh, yeah. All good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet, bro. Thank you. I'm glad you're wearing pants. Are you wearing pants? No, I'm not wearing pants, bro. I was like, oh, uh, this is not going to be good. I got home probably like 15 minutes before... uh, our call and then I was running around and then I just, yeah, I don't know. No, I did it for the lols now. Um, so <laughs> in conclusion, what I'd like to see in the community is little baby steps like that, not massive community out. I mean, I don't know how they work, but baby steps where people are in the conversation without using the word mental health, mm. we're using words like happiness and, and like state of mind and, uh, exercise, just common sense, like, yeah, just want those conversations out there. And I think it comes down to empathy because that's how I had empathy for my friend without knowing what a depressed person looks like or whatever the mental, like a counselor would know, hey, if he's like, oh, check his arms, you know, oh, see there, check his arms, he might have scratches, you know. But just having that common sense empathy because we've all been there, even if we don't show it, mm. you you can sit in a happy room and in your head you're like, why am I here? I don't deserve to be here or something like that. That's, there's that bit in everyone. So it's just um, maybe not being afraid that if I talk about that, but it's going to get worse than myself. Mm. I don't think that's true. I think you just control it and then you harness it. You're talking, you started talking before about using the platform that you have to promote, you know, your culture. Uh, and and it's it's really cool. It's really cool at um, you know UFC press conferences to see you giving uh, history lessons on so treaty Waitangi and that kind of thing. So you know there is, it's, you're kind of opening it up to to that wider audience. Mm. Oh, thank you. I didn't really my my history with my culture is quite uh, I wouldn't say unique. I I think it's very uh, Kiwi because. 
when I was born, I was born into a Maori community, which a lot of people wouldn't have. Only Maori would understand what a Maori community really looks like. Um, not like you know a marae, but just a bunch of people in like a sort of a hood area. And we all went to Kohanga Reo, so my first language was Maori. Very indoctrinated in the Maori cultural ways, in the real terms, as in my auntie lives, uh, you know, a k down the road. We share sugar and like money is passed between all of us. We all like help each other out. But I went from that to Auckland, and when I was in Auckland, I became a full-on what I the kind of people that I don't like here in New Zealand. The people were there like this whole place is for me. Especially Pacific, I was anti-Pacific Islanders because I knew it was in me, but I just believed the statistics. I was like, they're just angry people that get drunk and help, uh, hurt others, lazy, um, always complaining about, like, man, I went so deep. And that's part of, massive part of why my mental health struggled afterwards because of the guilt that I put on myself from how I thought for a, a period of years. And when I got in the UFC, something switched in me. It's like my culture was like, okay, you're going to need our help to win these fights, even though you've been a, a dick to your family in your mind, in my mind. I didn't do things to them. Maybe, you know, I, I didn't go home for 10 years. So that was something subconsciously I was like, that was my, I'm not Maori, I'm not Maori. I don't want to go there because I'm not Maori. I'm a white dude that's going to do well in business and all these things because if you're Maori, I had this idea that if you're Maori, you already got a, like a handicap. I wasn't even going to call my son a Maori name because I was like, oh, that duality. But so I've gone from fully Maori, first language, to anti-Maori, like let's let's vote someone to kick them out or something, to now I want to I – so I can see it from both sides. I can see that when I was anti-Maori, I was actually just like insecure about certain parts of myself, but I still was like, oh, community sense, oh, like – Knowing my, my fucker papa, that's still pretty cool. But, oh, no, I don't want to be part of those statistics. But those statistics are not real Maori. Mm. They're Maori in this, like, current-day society, but they're not true. They don't tell us about how our men are some of the best fathers in the entire planet. We've got some of the best fathers, like, we have done forever, traditional communities. We've got some of the smartest people to navigate the Pacific Ocean, the greatest body of ocean, at a time when – and we must have been amazing shipbuilders, too, to – to navigate that. Um, now I remember those things. That's what I think of when I think of my culture. So I can, but I can still see the side of people like middle-aged white males. I can see that side because I've, I've basically been a middle-aged white male for five years. And then now I'm trying to get the balance of both. Wow. So do you, that must be a hard thing to reconcile though, right? You know, both, both of those extremes. Do you feel like that's given you an interesting perspective in terms of like, you know, um, black life matters, the, the kind of the social rupture working its way through the, the States, like similar shit happens here in terms of some of that systemic, the stuff, even the stuff that you're describing, does, do you, does your experience even internally with, between both sides, does, do you think that gives you a, a fairly good understanding of like the lay of the land here in terms of, as you say, white middle-aged men and Maori? Mm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Cause when I was going through my, so post February from there, I thought I'd done heaps of mental work, but it was from there that I did heaps of mental work in regards to my guilt because I was, I went home to Napier. I was with the people that I used to look 
not yeah i did i used to look down on them as if i was better because i i was like capitalism is the way forward but no i'm going to show you economics financial literacy as if they wouldn't have already taken and and held on to these knowledge if it was given to them so it made me realize that it's not their fault there's systemic racism happening in our country and and i i used a lot of um i drew a lot of energy from guys like kendrick lamar and tupac because they were young african-americans but they're just like a i'm a i'm basically a young african-american like parts of me you get what i mean in terms of like that parts of me have been oppressed but it's not me not my face not me but my my cousins my aunties my uncles my mum parts of them have been heaps of time they've been oppressed and and it's been transferred on to me and that's what happens with all our young maori all young african-americans if you listen to people speak they get angry fast because it's not they're not speaking of the wrongs that were done to them. They're speaking of the wrongs that were done to their dad and their dad's dad and their dad's dad's dad. It, it, it's like the same thing. It's an intergenerational trauma that's passed down through to us. So, I don't know. It's just like, in America, it's more extreme because people are dying every day, every single day. But in, mm. in New Zealand, it's sort of, the, sort of the exact same thing, but over a longer more you know it's more insidious that way because you don't see it you see it in 40 years you're like oh good example Marainui Napier where I'm from in the 1970s very nice place uh, it was building up they built like a big community center like yeah this is going to be a cool place then another place some developer hap- happening in uh, I can't remember the name but it was basically an, a 40 minute drive another way away from the beach where we were and they were like oh we want this to be a beach town I don't know what happened in terms of construction. There might have been something to do with reclaimed land, which is like it might the sea might end up coming in. I don't know what it was, but they, they did what they call social gentrification. My mom sat with me and explained to her. It was one of our late night mental health chats. I was explaining, asking like, why do you carry all this pain inside your mom? And like, why do I carry some of that pain? She's like, you don't know what it was like growing up here. It's like, tell me. She's like, okay. When I was eight, it was all nice. Everything's cool. By the time I was 13, there's, there's drug dealers everywhere. All you can see is mongrel mob patches. Everyone's walking around drunk and wasted. And there's also mental people that have, you know, bad mental health. The kind of people where like a 42-year-old a man has the mental capacity of a 12-year-old. So he rapes a 12-year-old. But it's because he, all of those people were brought to my place. And now, but the weird thing is those people have now become the community, but it's a good, it is still a, it's a good community because it's Polynesian people. They tried to give us the worst and we're turning it, we're going to turn it to make it the best. Get this though. Now they want to take the land back. They're trying to buy my nan's house again, but now at an exorbitant rate. Before, what happened in the 80s was the government gave a grant. So back then it was only $2,000 was all you needed for a house deposit. So they said, if you, you, you don't even have to be owning the house that you're in. If you just leave it, if you're renting it, and then you leave it, agree to go there, we'll give you two grand. They did it to everyone. And the only way my nan found out was because she played netball with white ladies. And they were going on about it one day. And she's like, when did this happen? She's like, like two weeks ago, it, the dudes came to all our houses and stuff. She's like, they all live in the same cul-de-sac. I could show it to you. It's a cul-de-sac. So they would, this house, this house, this house, skip that one. This house, this house, skip that one. That's what they did because she didn't get it. Her neighbor didn't get it. The other neighbor didn't get it. Oh, this neighbor, the white lady, she got it. And you don't want to, like, I feel we have to be careful with that stuff because then you can be like, oh, stuff, white people, man, I'm not going to do any of that. But the truth is that forgive, like they say in some 
famous books. Forgive them for they do not know. And um, just trying to walk that path of understanding that the colonizer had his best interests and the colonized had their best interests, but we'll just work it together. Let's work it together. So what do you, is that part of the, the thing? Because when you talk about this generational anger, there's a point where anger, is, is it constructive? Like, is, is yeah. that, do you need to... Um, you know, do you need to do you need to bring something else into it? How do you how do you how do you break that cycle? And how do you how do you go forward? It's from channeling that? that anger, eh? Because I Tupac's a really good example. I was watching heaps of interviews when I, because I was at the point. When is this magazine thing going to come out? Not Monday, eh? After Monday. Yeah, after Monday. Definitely, yeah. Okay, sweet. Because I was at the point, I was going to stop fighting. And then I realized there's something going on, like there's a greater fight going on. And I was, what I was thinking, oh, what I will do if I'm really serious, I will stop fighting. I will get into business. I'll create a business. And then with that business, I will help change Maori kids' lives. But then I was like, no, nah, you'll get this. Some party was giving up. And then I thought, remember, Tupac quotes when he's young, younger, he's, he's quite eloquent and, and he's like says, oh, I'm not, I would never call a woman a B-I-T-C-H because that's disrespectful to this, this, and this. 10 years later, he's like with his environment. He's like, no, motherfucker, you know, these, he's fully thug life. And I just thought something told me is like, if you don't keep fighting, eventually you're going to be Tupac somehow in my own way where I'm going to be just angry. I'm just going to be that angry guy. It's like white people, this white people, that, you know, I'm just going to be an angry person. And the anger's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to, like, even though he made beautiful music, he made some hateful or not hateful, but, you know, very aggressive Music that they were not like ghetto gospel. They weren't like beautiful exchanging these stories. It became just like aggressive. And that's got to be careful. We got to channel that anger. It's exactly like fighting. Like sometimes I get angry, but if I don't channel it, I'm going to throw the right hand. I'm going to totally miss him. And then I'm going to have to come back and be like, oh, wow, I shouldn't have channeled my anger that much. Um, that's my, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's got to, we, I guess, our responsibility, yours included, as older, like 25-plus Polynesian males, we're going to have to teach them how to channel their anger, eh? like how I'm going to have to stop getting angry at home or whatever. You know, i got to channel that in the right ways and then tell them, hey, when I get angry at home, what I do, I do this breathing thing and then I go hug my missus and I squeeze her and I say thank you for loving me even when I'm angry or something. You think there's a... Um... Yeah, we won't spend the whole interview talking about how to fix uh, racism. Um, but do you think there's something in terms of, the, again, the wider community, like, um, you know, when you're going through your white middle-aged man kind of phase and you're just, phase. And you're just looking at the, the statistics, the banned statistics, uh, and that was kind of, you know, does that become a self-perpetuating thing when, as you were saying, you know, there are some amazing stories of uh, incredible fathers and some, you know, some really beautiful aspects that we don't, that don't see. Maybe they don't make good news. I don't know. Maybe it's better mm. to read. Mm. It's, it's mm. more fun to read the bad shit. Um, do we need to shift a focus? 100% because I've seen it with my cousins. I've seen it in myself um, where you believe because I'm 27 years old now, and for t most of that 27 years, I've been told police 107. The only positive thing is being an athlete, and then when they get athlete, they're like, "Ha, ah, look at what this rugby player did." Even now, the best of us have been show they show us the worst of them. 
even guys like oh, like say like Bob Marley, I used to love him, and then some lady because like some white lady told me he's like you know he had like eight kids to eight chicks. He's he's disgusting. That was like an all my heroes when I was a kid were always cut down in their own ways. Not empathy was not given to them, and yeah. We need those stories because, yeah, it, it's self-perpetuating in that now the kids think, oh, I should just hit my missus because it's what we do anyway, you know, because it's in the statistics. So they're like, I guess it's okay then. But in this, inside them, they know it's not okay, but they do it because they're like, but it's what everyone's doing. I see the same thing in, in the gym. You can make up a move, but because I'm in the UFC and I'm apparently, I can make up a move and I know this shit doesn't work, but. If I look around, people will start copying me. And then the next day, people will be like, oh, I guess we just do this because that person was doing it before. You know, and then like a week later, I can come back and be like, oh, yeah, I made that thing up. It doesn't work here. I'll show you why it doesn't work. And then there'll be someone that will adamantly preach to me. No, it does work, boy, because I did this thing. But it's because they've been conditioned to think that go with the crowd. Whatever the crowd is doing, it must be the right way. Even in, even in like, me as an athlete, I feel that way sometimes. Like I, there's certain things I feel very confident around. And then when I approach things where I feel like I'm a trailblazer, as in I've got no one to say, hey, what did you do when you were here? Then I feel like I've got to conform because it's scary going against the grain. Mm. And as simple as that is, it's making men hit their women. It's making women kill their babies. It's making men kill themselves. So it's... It's it's as much as some people want to be like, oh, bro, it's not it's, it's not telling someone that they're on police in seven. If that person then goes and puts themselves on police in seven, then they were gonna do it anyway. That's where the argument, where I get a bit upset with the argument with some middle-aged white men. They can't understand that in their world, they've always been shown movies. Oh, middle-aged white man, middle-aged white man. Oh, look, he's a superstar. Oh, look, he's also a bum. You know, they get shown the full spectrum. Whereas Maori, we only get shown the lower half of that spectrum. I didn't know that there were any famous or any big Maori anything until I saw like say Monty beat them and maybe he got in further because he's like lighter skinned. You know, he wasn't dark enough. I don't know, man. I don't know, but uh, over, hopefully by the time I'm like 50, I'll be able to eloqu uh, express this in a way that'll make people understand. Cause I don't want to get, I don't want people to get angry. I don't want people to be upset at me. I don't want to be project my anger on others. I just want, people to try and understand where my people are coming from because my people is your people or we're all the same people it just feels like at this current state in society like there's all these lines but i reckon by the time i cock it those lines will be a lot blurrier mm. do you feel so the couple of things there uh you know that concept of trailblazing so there's good bad there's a good and bad trailblazing but you you know you mentioned the likes of monty Beatham. do you do you feel like you um well, you've you've spoken about being at the tip of a, a spear, you know that uh, tip of the tire. Your, your, and can you do you look back and can you see that tire forming? Can you see the rest of it forming? Can you see, um, you know, kids coming through and and can can you see the pathway that you're that you're creating? Can you see that forming? In all honesty, the the humble. Kiwi man and me wants to say, nah, 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 I haven't done anything, bro. It's, it is what it is. But I'll give a little inkling into it, just a glimpse that I, I seen a glimpse of it. And it was, say, just for my little bit, it was that conversation 
that was had at the gym about our friend, myself asking how he is, and then my friend saying, oh yeah, his, now his demeanor seems this, and he is still going out, he still has his work, he's doing his uni, that is me seeing the tire half form behind me, because even though I want it to be up north, north of Auckland where kids are doing it, but I'm not there, my community is the gym, so to see it happening at my own gym, then things must, waves must be happening outside of it too. Very cool. Now we'll, go, we'll spend some time in the cage. You, um, again, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the psychology, but it's interesting you, you've spoken about uh, it feeling real in the cage. Like all of a sudden, it's, this is kind of real life, and then anything outside of that becomes becomes not real, you know? Is, is there a kind of a shift in reality, a hyper-reality? Really, yeah, it's um, it must be how a musician feels when they go on stage, a ballet person when they go on stage, uh, maybe even a teacher when they when a student that they really want to do well does well right before their eyes, they see the A plus, and like wow, that just that little bit of a feeling. I feel like I get that for 25 30 minutes, and I'm like, I feel like I'm being my truest self because i guess my truest self is a person that will elbow someone till they're unconscious but do it from a place of love and uh, it's hard to be that person outside of the cage because it's hard to <laughs> get that across to people um yeah and it's um it's just living in the moment i guess it, that hyper reality is because the reality is coming at you so fast um I don't know. It's a, it's a peaceful moment there. And a lot of my life, and I think a lot of athletes and anyone, adrenaline junkies, whatever, it's like they're trying to find that space mm. outside of a competition. That's where people get, go off the rails. But I think what I'm slowly finding is that space, that hyper-reality is actually, it's somewhere in meditation. But it's different when you're in meditation because you're not moving. Mm. It's like, I feel like maybe fighting is like a really hyper form of like moving meditation or something. Because yeah, I'm finding that because I'm doing more meditative type things for my mental health because it helps not build up to like, I think I'm the kind of person that will build things up and then blah, I'm driving to Whangarei for the day. Nah, things like that. So um, yeah, I think it's something about that, eh? moving meditation or something. Mm. But yeah. Can you, does stuff go through your head? Like, is it, when does it become automatic when you're in the, when you're in the cage? So, oh, cool. I'm glad you asked this because the truth is my truth, because everyone's different. I feel like everything in life, most and the best of the things in life, they're dualities. It's you're walking the line of, it's like a tightrope. You can fully fall off and die. Oh no, that's a bad analogy tightrope. Um, but it is a double-edged sword because you do have to consciously be there to see the things like if he keeps like one, he keeps doing this with his hair. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to try time it to do that. But I had to be conscious of that, that bit, but then the actual execution of that said move, not conscious. So you're conscious, not conscious, conscious, not conscious. It's like you're conscious of a few things. It's exactly like meditating, man. Cause when you're meditating, you're conscious of your breathing that's your physical movement, but then your mind is doing other things, but then you're not even conscious of it, but you're doing it in a, like four seconds in 
you know, there's, they're not, it's not normal breathing. It's quite uh, different. But then when it gets to the level where it's unconscious, then your mind can go to these places. And um, I'll give you a funny example of like when I was not good at this. When I was a younger man, like my pro debut, I remember having the zone. I was in the zone. I was like, boom, bah, hit, not really thinking. And there's no mental chatter. That's when it's cool. It's no mental chatter. But then I see this thing. I see a camera just up here. And I hit him and then I like pull away and I look at the camera again. I was like, man, I hope they got that photo. That would have been a cool photo to take. And then I go from there to being like a notorious B.I.G. song popped in my head. And I always remember that because I went from like, oh, crack up that photo. So I moved my attention from me and the bro that I'm fighting to this camera. And then that took me to a little bit. No, it wasn't big pop. It was like, give me the loop. Give me the loop. Just started playing in my head. And I was just like almost like smirked at myself. And back when I was younger, I used to think that was a superpower. I was like, oh, that must be when I'm in the zone. But in reality, that was, it was my um, kindergarten version of living in my hyper-reality state. Does <laughs> it hard, you know, when you, is that part of, if, if it's to go back into real, into the, into the real world afterwards, like what sort of process are you kind of saying and maybe meditation helps, but is it then a search for, you know, the same sort of adrenaline uh, in different areas after that? Yeah, it is. If you don't do things right. Cause I did, um, after my, both my last two fights, I went in, I, I kind of went in like a mental hole and I went through trying to chase all these highs of euphoric feelings of, um, you know, just extreme situations um, some people do that and then some people go on the extreme of risk where they're like I'm going to bet a hundred grand on this thing like I maybe I was doing the same thing in betting on these experiences to give me this happiness but no nah, I didn't get any of that so I haven't I haven't got that process but I bet it's inside my culture where I need to stop reset like yeah I've got all these new things now because after every fight you have all these new stuff and things and opportunities that are there as well but just come back to your scene and be like, yep, got my two legs, got my two arms, head still working right. Sweet, be happy with just that and then build up from there. You spoke about um, that concept of, well, is it elbowing someone into unconsciousness but with love? It's kind of the, yeah. it's a funny, again, it's the double-edged sword thing, but there's this yeah. funny dichotomy between, you know, the the battle and then the respect. Is there, does, mm-hmm. how do you describe that? Yeah, because it's it's exactly like the 16th or 15th century samurai Miyamoto Musashi who killed 63 men in open combat, sometimes with wooden swords. Uh, you know, I like I reason it because he reasoned it in his way. He's killing men. He's killing sons. He's killing fathers. But they're willingly coming to him. They're, they're all, they're in a different realm, these people. You know, they're, they're in a different they're le- leading a different life, so it's it's super it's beautiful because then that's a, a a respectful death in that person's eyes. Eh? That's all they're looking for, I guess, in a way, is like that 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 test my limit, test my thing, and mm. cut me down if I don't. Because, of, well, in our sport, the beauty of our sport is like I cut them down and they will live to fight another day. That's why it's all love, because I know I'm not. It would be different if we were fighting to the death, and I was saying these things. I don't know if I could actually be like, nah, yeah, do with love because that person's going to die. But even though I know that I'm causing harm on this person, how I, how I 
reason to myself is that that person's going to become a better athlete and fighter from this. They're going to use that inspiration to drive. Then they're going to use that to create wealth for their family. And then when I bring it back to myself, I'm like, hey, mate, you getting punched 120 times better than me getting punched. I wouldn't want to get punched because i got a family to go home to. i got money to do. So there's love for my myself and my family. But I do still have love for my opponent and their family. It's just like my goal is to beat everyone and remain undefeated. And then they can go off and do their lives. And like um, Conor McGregor's opponents have all done very, very well once he's defeated them. Look at Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier, um, Jose Aldo's still going like really, really hard. And I think um, Conor McGregor was that what he needed in his career at that time to have a resurgence. So all the mental health, all the racism stuff, it's all tied up in me representing my culture and it's going to help me. And if I do it from that standpoint, then the Maori culture is the leader. It's not mental health because if mental health the leader, it opens up scarier things. But when you're just like, nah, Maori culture and community is the leader. And then that space is where the mental health work happens anyway. And it's mm-hmm. not as oh, intense. It's not so like, I'm going to cry talking about this. It's just kick back and relax. Trying to, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, what I want to do is weave Maori culture into modern day culture and form a symbiotic relationship where we still have capitalism, but because we're focusing on tikanga Maori, with the lowest, no one is left behind. The lowest of the lowest person still is getting enough to get by. And they're getting even more support than the guys that are up. Maybe they're getting more hands-on support because they need it. And the guys that are higher up, they're higher up because they're on here and mm-hmm. here in their heart, you know, that's why they're up there. And that's the only way that Maori chiefs and people would go up is if they, their hearts were in the right place and they're willing to put in the work for their people to serve. So trying to weave that into everything I do so that it weaves itself into the world. Like if I go into business, I want to practice tikanga Maori. When I go speak to kids, I want to practice tikanga Maori. Even when I go to the UFC and I'm there fight week and, you know, for them it's day in, day out. Every weekend they're having these fight shows. I want to bring when I fight, it's oh, Maori, it's Maori language week for the UFC. <laughs> is, is it going to be hard, do you think? Um, so there's a couple of things that you're talking about. You know, at the start of the conversation, you were talking about um, having to keep humility when everyone's, when, or we, when you've got a whole lot of people calling you like a god amongst men. And in this, in this UFC world as well, there's a, there's a lot of money. Like, um, yeah. You know, you could potentially be buying McLarens and, and that kind of stuff. Is it, hard, is it hard, do you think, to keep that balance and what you're talking about with, um, you know, finding new ways to uh, uh, of working capitalism and the community stuff? Yeah. Is it going to be hard for you to, um, you know, keep, keep, keep your feet on the ground? Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be very hard. And I've already taken my feet off the ground a couple of times and it's only been brought to me by the amazing... Ma- older men at city kickboxing, they made me realize that I thought I was, that one thing was said to me that wasn't said to me, but from someone else, they're like, he needs to stop thinking he's better than the rest of the boys. Cause I was off doing my mental health mahi, like just being away from the gym, crying with my mom and all this stuff. But then I realized like, yeah, I was doing that thinking like I was better than all the boys because what I realized is all of us go through it at the gym. Israel goes through it. We all go through it, but we do it together at the gym. And that's going to be my struggle going forward to be like reminding myself that the, the gym is the important thing. Like all the things that come with it are cool, but the gym will be – no, there's the answer. 
gosh darn it, there's the just come to the gym and I'll be humble. It'll be sweet. It will be sweet. Um, give me the McLaren. Give me the McLaren. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about but the gym? Oh, it's a church. I think that's what it is. To put it plainly, it's a religious site. It's like when you go there, it's like an Indian burial ground, but we've all said it, but it's not because we just move. We've moved spaces. It's the community. It's the space. You know, a church is just the, it's four walls and a roof, but the original church would have been just the open space and a dude standing there being like, oh, um, we should love each other or something. I don't know, but that's what I feel. That's what it actually is to put it plainly. It's, it's a, there's a spiritual religious aspect to it and it just enters everyone it enters everyone and it must it must just be doug eugene twister who else should i name mike angove um moni stephen fowler all these people lolo hey molly they've they must have something inside them like they're polynesian hey that's what it is that even though they're not you would meet them and you'll be like i wouldn't say this guy's religious but it's in our dna to know that there's a religious aspect to every, everything you do in this world has to be for that divine intelligence. I don't know, man. It's basically a church. It's, um, it's like a religious institute, a sacred place that you go into. And the more you go, even if you're anti-religious, the more you go, it just infects you. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, then you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in it. <laughs> just slowly permeates, gets in there. Um, a special place it's a it's a it's a it's this people i don't want to say place it's not city kickboxing the gym it's the trainers it's the coaches the students it's our 14 year old world champions that we have at the gym it's our 31 year old nigerian champion it's 27 year old champion in the making it's all of the people Mm. special we just need to make city kickboxing how the rest of the world is and we'll be what do you mean by that Oh, what, what, yeah, what I mean is bring all the values and stuff that we have at City Kickboxing as a world, <laughs> as a planet or something. If we could do that because we're all grinding day in, day out. Israel said it real good before. He's like, I might not be the most deserving to be here, as in like, you know, with all these millions and stuff or whatever, you know, like his status. and But he earned it. He's earned it. And that's the truth. Like, I get what he means by deserving. Like, maybe there's there's a girl at our gym that's got five kids and she's only 31. Um, she has, like, has to work two jobs. Her car's, like, not even working, barely works, and she still comes to the gym twice a day. She's probably more deserving of all the things that Israel has, but she's got to earn it, eh? She's got to earn it. It's going to take years. And that's just the truth. And when we realize that in our world, I think there's too many of us now where we think like, nah, I, I can just do it overnight. I've seen other people do it, but it's not, that's mm. not the truth. It's not, it's not the way the world actually works. Everything, anything, any change that happens fast is not lasting. Long lasting change happens slow. You talk about the, um, you know, the community and the heart uh, that goes into city kickboxing. Is there, can you, can you talk about the technical side of things as well? Like you're giving a breakdown of, um, even post uh, post your last fight, and you're talking about taking for granted, I guess, some of the technique and the the, uh, the technical capability that you have because of your training, and you're kind of comparing yourself to to Austin, and you know, this you, you did the flailing arms kind of thing. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. like with the world class uh, training, is that 
you know, is there an edge there that, that you guys have that, that, that is? It, eh? Yeah, there's something, it must, there has to be, because I look at all of our boys and I'm like, why, like, you want to become, like, careful because it's that old school Kiwi humility. But I was like, wow, we, we're all pretty good people, you know, we've all got, everyone's got their bad parts, but, like, all I look around, I'm like, man, we're all pretty good people and there must be something to honing your body to, like, fight, grinding yourself to just the, a very fine dust and then you come out of it like i'm it's like we realize that people it's like people are walking around in a flesh like a like a driving a, a fucking toyota camry and we are in mclarens and we're just and because we're in mclarens we drive slower than everyone else because we know i can go 200 k's bro if i need to but i'm just going to do it slow and it like must give us a level of like we're shepherds or something like i'm not conscious of this feeling but as i get yeah sharper and sharper and i i know i can defend myself and i can see my own capabilities every day like whoa look how how fast i move and how strong i am and this thing i can move it must give me and the boys a sense of humility as well mm. and yet yeah, that must as part of us this is what this whole story is about is about how we're going to change the world is um that martial arts or just discipline daily physical this vehicle that you operate you've got to you got to push it to its limits and then then you know, ease. Um, yeah, there's an edge there. There's definitely an edge there. You're talking about changing the world. The world is changing. Like what? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> the world is changing by itself. Um, Post-COVID, post what happens? What happens to the world of UFC, to, to your world, the training, yeah. the competing, like your career progression? Yeah. I think everything... Um, think it's a positive shift uh i don't there's a, a person i don't know if you'll know about his name was terence mckenna he was a mycologist so he studied like i don't care about what he studied and stuff i cared about just his philosophy around certain things and he had this idea that 2012 whatever you know, remember when 2012 was a thing i feel like 2020 was actually 2012 but his idea was that the world wasn't going to end how the mind said but there'd be a consciousness shift that wouldn't happen on a level where anyone would actually notice something, but it's like the entire planet would have a consciousness shift. And it's like, you all come to a point to that point, And then from there we branch out and we went to that point at 2020 and we're going through this thin tunnel, but when we're going to come out the other side, like positivity, like what we, if you sit with your friends, like, I don't know, have a little drink and like, maybe smoke a little buds and like sit under the stars and you're like, Oh, imagine if this, imagine if that like community and like, Oh, all I want to do is be a farmer and get paid, you know, a little bit of money and, or, but I want to be a, I want to fly around the, you know, like all of those dreams can come true. I feel like that's what we're heading towards. And COVID is going, it's just, it gave the world its reset. Eh? The whole world stopped. And it still stopped in New Zealand. We're we're living in our own bubble. <laughs> There's mm. the rest of the world still experiencing this pandemic, but it's uh, probably needs to happen. The old quote, I don't know who wrote it, might have been Batman, but the night is always darkest before the dawn. Mm. You know, there's a lot of darkness being showed now. The Epstein stuff, Black Lives Matter stuff, pandemic, and then around the pandemic, you know, the whole people are like shifty around governments and. You know, it's like people are like, oh, are we going to have World War Three? Someone was saying that to me today uh, a couple of days ago. They were like, bro, when China invades Taiwan, it's all over. What I think is that World War Three is not going to happen. 
and we're going to think, oh, it's all good, nothing's happened, but that's, we're good now. We had World War One, we had World War Two. millions of people dying, we're not going to have a World War Three. We're going to slowly move to something better. And the World Wars, you know where the World Wars are going to happen, brother? They're going to happen in the cage, in the UFC, where we're going to fight, like, I represent my, New Zealand, this line in the sand. I'm going to beat your dude from China. I'm going to beat your dude from Russia. I'm going to beat your dude from America. Will you represent your people? And then at the end of it, we're going to shake hands like country to country, like thank you for that battle and move away. And our lust, our bloodlust as a people will be satiated. There's a couple of things in that. I was going to ask you about what is behind the rise of uh, MMA and UFC. Do you think it is like a counter to the complexity of the world? Like you're talking about, uh, you can go conspiracy theory all day long on so many different things, you know, Epstein in a cell without the cameras working and given 13 jumpsuits and a broken neck and that kind of thing. But do you think that the, that the world of UFC, it is a simple kind of primal kind of thing like it's you know it's yeah. just getting back to basics in a way the beauty of it is it reminds me a lot of uh musashi towards the end of his life people as the Jap japanese as a whole were moving away from martial arts saying that it's not that it's too primal and that men don't need to carry swords because it's we're dignified now and then what do they do they killed all of their own people hey eh? how dignified is that so you went from an individual can kill an individual over a dispute to now a country can kill another country over dispute. Now I feel like we're heading towards where like at the moment people are all oh, these bloody dumb, they're just banging heads. It's like a, ha a happy, happy distraction. But we're like our culture, like multicultural, or like the gym, when you just keep turning up, it will infect you slowly. And samurai warriors like myself, Israel, people in America, people in uh, other countries that are UFC fighters, especially Russians, those Muslim Russian people, they carry, you know, religious things into it. It's going to like all, I feel like it's going to be like, this. so if New Zealand gets like, Hey, we're going to draft you guys to the war. All these kids are going to be like, nah, I'm good. I just watch UFC on the weekends, bro. I don't, I play COD. I'm good. I don't, I'm not, I'm not like 18. You know, when the kids like my granddad, 18, I want to go to Egypt. Oh, but I have to kill people. I don't care. It's about going to Egypt and like exploring like, my life's so boring because there's not, but now kids can go on their phone. It's interesting enough on there. They're like, nah, don't want to go over to China and kill someone. Not a fan. And um, what's going to fill that is, is that UFC bloodlust. But right now it's very primal, how you said, almost maybe like, it sounds ridiculous what I'm saying, but look at Roman culture at times of peace, their gladiator time, gladiator, uh, numbers went up because people were like even though they're peaceful like oh mean i can just sow my crops there's always something inside maybe just males but maybe in females as well like nah i need a bit of need a bit of rah. you mm. know and if i can't do it to someone i want to watch someone else do it to someone that, uh, i don't know if bloodlust sounds like a good thing do you notice that in the crowd do you notice particularly in a live crowd where um, you've got 15 well, do, you, do you feel it yeah it's a duality because some everyone's different some people are in that mode where they do like maybe there's a stressed out dude and he's like i need to see someone die and they're the kind of person that need to see someone die they sit you know they they fulfill it they're like they i've heard people bro i've heard i've been in crowds and i've heard someone said and this dude kid got knocked out and he said i hope you choke on your tongue wow. bro and i got up and i was like bro i had a fat do it this dude but that dude must have been in just such a fuck messed up head state that mm. he needed that release to just say it to someone you know and, and that's as men, I mean, sorry, as fighters, it's like we allow that space. We, even though we don't like it, 
it's like I'm like a boxing bag for people to to beat up. Not mm. like my opponent. Me and my opponent are both boxing bags for this whole arena to direct their like. If it's hate, they direct their hate. If it's love, they direct their love. But it's just like how at the end of the fight, I hug my mate. You know the dude I mm. just fought. The the crowd does the same thing. That's what I feel in the crowd. It's like if, when the, they're like, Ugh, and afterwards they are just like. Nah, respect to both of you guys. Even the ones that say like, oh, he sucked. I know they they still got respect. Otherwise, they wouldn't even say anything. They wouldn't even mention a guy if they had no respect for him, but they have enough respect to, to make fun of him. It's, um, yeah, bloodlust isn't the right word, but this, those things need to be fulfilled, you know? It's, you can't just expect that everyone's going to be Moses. Everyone's going to be Gandhi and be like, oh, nah, man, I'm good. I can just eat flowers and I don't need to eat meat. Like, mm. we're, we're, humans are very complex creatures. So uh, all the boxes need to be ticked. But let's just do, when it comes to wars, one-on-one is the best. That's amazing. I never really thought about that cathartic kind of uh, bloodlust thing. But, you know, that, what do you mean that, by What does cathartic mean? Cathartic. So we let stuff out. We live, we live vicariously through, you know, whether it's what we see. So that guy who was hoping that that, that dude would choke on his, you know, he was, he was, he was releasing that kind of, you mm. know, that, ang- the, that anger that you talk about. It's better him doing yeah. that there. Um, than at home or at or at yeah, home. that's how I think sometimes because I've like I imagine like him. I'm like man, maybe I I try not to get too deep on this sometimes because it's like I see I've seen men mainly in gangs as well as my own gang, but like I I I, I see a lot of different people in a lot of different spaces, man. And I see men, I see a switch in men sometimes, and that's when I know that is their insecurities coming out, and they do things aggressively or they're like try and really go for this girl but it's there's some things way back when that insecurity makes them want to do that thing and they might not even want to do that thing but they they want it in the moment because they haven't had that uh cathartic need satisfied in other more healthy ways Mm. like i'm massive on um playing playstation at the moment or not at the moment but there was a time i was like massive on playing playstation and it like got things out for it gets things out for me Mm. Um, and that's a healthy habit, you know. It's healthier than other ones. I, used, it's, uh, I don't know. It's trying to develop these healthy habits to get that stuff out because we need to. Like our New Zealand men are humble and and strong, but there's a. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, could, uh, that's weird. 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 You're right with that guy. I used to have so much hate for that person that said that too. That I hope you choke on your tongue. It's mm. only been in like recent years that I've started getting it. And it, but it's you could talk to me tomorrow and I might have a total different opinion. I'd be like, you aren't allowed to even speak about fighters unless you're a fighter. Because some days I'm like that. I'm like, no one should even criticize us unless you're part of it. It's like a samurai can say, mm. haha, your technique is absolutely sh- terrible. But if a bystander says, yeah, yeah, his technique's terrible, then that samurai will be like, hey, fuck you. You know, it's like we're, on our, we're in our own little clique as well. So it's hard, man. Yeah. I won't talk about your technique then. <laughs> Do you, what was, the, what was the catalyst for you to get into, into fighting? Was there a, what was the thing? Wanting to be, it was two things. It was about when I was 11, I started kind of, oh, when you're, I guess maybe even at some point in your teens and twenties or teens, you're zero to 10 and 10 to 20. Before you're 20, at some point 
you realize that you are your own person. I was like, I was conditioned because I, as much as I'm the tough person that I am now in my family, I'm the weakest link, but it's a good thing in terms of toughness. Um, even sometimes work ethic, work ethic. My family, we call, I call them mahi men. My family are the men that they're out hunting in the morning, shooting deer, shooting pigs. Then they come back, skin the whole thing. And then in the evening, they're in the kitchen doing the dishes also. You know, they're in all, and, and you don't see them the whole day, but they're just working, sweating, grinding, smashing it out, no recognition. And they would do that every tangi. And I've been to heaps of tangis, which is a, a funeral. So seeing that and then being myself, I felt like I was lazy, not motivated, um, not strong. But what I did feel, which is I've kept all the time, was that I was a, just a pretty happy-go-lucky kid. And, and if I got upset, it was only because I wasn't one of these three things. So I'd get upset at myself. Oh, I'm not tough enough. Oh, I, I want to help you boys, but I don't know. I make up excuses and stuff. But from there, what drove me to fight was wanting to change those three things that I wasn't tough, that I wasn't, uh, I didn't have good work ethic and I wouldn't do things like how my brothers and, and cousins would, where they just do it because it's part of tikanga Māori or whatever. I, I don't know. And, MMA became my way of changing myself, personal development. In my mind, this is the quote, <laughs> in my mind, I went from being a small, skinny, white kid and through the power of my mind and hard work and dedication day in, day out, I have now turned myself today. The kid standing in front of you is Israel. I look like Israel. That's how I feel. Like I've physically changed my skin color, my height, my bone structure, everything just with my mind. But that all it is is that I've taken myself from being the kid that would be like, even if people would be screaming, I'd be like, Ooh, like not wanting to, I did not like conflict. I still don't really like conflict. But I've gone from that kid that I remember being outside my cousin's house and there was a big 21st happening and all the kids were just mucking around, you know, us eight-year-olds. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you guys all have to fight. And they made me and my other only other white cousin fight and he just need me. And then I was so scared. Then I just stood in front of him and he just grabbed my shoulders and kneed me in the nuts. And I just started crying on the ground, rolling for so long, so long to the point where I was just trying to get people to feel sorry for me. I went from there to now I fight in the UFC, get kicked right in the dong and I just punch the dude back in the face. Like, and for me internally, it's, I inspire myself so much sometimes and I just want to get that to other people. Mm. What would you say to people now, and, and not everyone is going to be having to deal with their cousin kicking them in the nuts and that kind of thing, but there might be other other areas of our of our lives or our, our ourselves that you know that really give us um, that really give us a lot of pain and, and and the things that we want to you know we, we don't we want to hide away from ourselves and, and other people. But what what advice would you have? What advice would you have? And a very general sense for mm. for people to you know to use their mind as you say to to kind of change yeah. this situation my advice would be similar this is like the thing with new zealand why our men are so humble but it might be the same reason why we're hurting ourselves the same thing that i used to hate on myself for for being the person that would cry and talk about my emotions has now gone on to help possibly millions of people because I held on to that through I've been fighting for 13 years now I held on to that for 13 years to the point where I got to Rod Laver 
and I was able to rise above my conditions, rise above my my friends and their sideways looks, and I said my truth. And that, but that truth stems from the parts that I used to hate, the parts where I thought were the softest parts of me. So my advice would be, don't hate those parts of you that you think are bad because they might turn out to be your greatest good. That's cool. That's cool. Can you do you do you, do you look like ten years into the future, and do you have a do you have a pathway or a you know a set of goals that you that you're working and ticking off? Yep. Yeah, I've got some goals, big goals inside the octagon, big goals outside the octagon. And I guess my biggest goals are like global because um, there's, uh, there's ways to change. There's more than one way to help uh, facilitate that change too. Right now, I'm, I'm, the way I'm facilitating that change is by leading and being an example. So being an example of like I can fight, but I can also – be sensitive and I can talk about those things but I think other ways are in business and the, the like politics type thing things in society that like you can't just punch a hole through um, all the stuff that has happened with uh, kids child abuse here in New Zealand the only way to change child abuse in New Zealand I'm not UFC me fighting UFC is not going to change that I don't think I think me getting to a world champion status and then leveraging that platform to carry my mana into other spaces, into other industries, and then not taking over that industry, but trying to change it like how I'm trying to change sort of the UFC and the ideas around what a tough person is. So I do have plans in that regard. And, um, but they're also, they're also not my focus right now because fighting is just the beauty of it is the vehicle is my martial arts. It's my, my sword. My sword is my vehicle. So I'm focused on sharpening that bad boy up. Becoming a father, did that have a profound shift for you in terms of your approach to fighting, your approach to, you know, your, Mm. as we're saying, your goals. Yep. Yep. I, I feel like it didn't change my approach to fighting, but people have been saying at the gym, like people making jokes, they're like, man, I must just need to have a kid because I'm like on a whole nother level. Like they're seeing the change in me, but it's, it's more maybe it's given, it's made me realize that fighters, we get caught up in because I've only got say me 10 more years, I'll be 37. That, that's a pretty late career, you know, like it's a small window and you live it. You're, you're a full on, I'm a fighter day in, day out. My, my everyday stance is my battle stance. But we've got to think ahead as well. And the way the Maori way that I attribute that is not think ahead because then you're not you're not in the moment. You're almost got one foot out the door. You're like, oh, but what about when I retire? Instead, I turn around and I look backwards and I learn from the past. Not my past, but others' past. Mike Tyson, Doug Viney, my coach, uh, Mark Hunt, all these other dudes. And I try and learn from them and I just back myself up into the future because there's no way if you're looking forward you're going to be stressed about it I'm not stressed about it all I'm doing is looking at the back and be like okay I won't do that but not only will I not do that how can I if I was that person how can I maximize that situation to to um you know get I think I need to get all the best that I can out of my life 
as in know my own worth and get the best out of it so that I can be a blueprint for other young Polynesian males and females to, to um, that they can see that, oh, if you just fight tooth and nail and hold on to your tikanga and here you can enter the capitalism world and not be consumed by it. Because that was my, my part of my fear and still is my fear is that I'm going to become a millionaire and be like, ah, stuff the kids, who cares, bro? I'm going to move to Italy and just lay on the beach forever. Um, Got to hold on to that tikanga, though. It's a beautiful bit of advice to back into the future and look at the look at the past for lessons, and that's probably quite applicable to a lot of people who are dealing with uncertainty now in terms of their future. You know, their careers might have ended; they might be out of a job or thrust into into you know this this new world of of potential and still yeah. uncertainty. Would there be any other yeah. advice that you could give from from your experience, from your world, to a more you know the general? Yeah. I, I think this advice, it's not directly from Israel, but it's from me observing Israel, who is, I've known Israel for seven years now, and he's had nothing, he's had something, had nothing, had even more, had nothing, and then had way, 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 way more. But throughout all of that, all his main focus was all the things he control, everything inside the skin, basically. Because all the things that, he's developed now have been outside of himself he's got all these riches at him, but he's always maintained the focus inside through our training you know i'm like mentally uh physically training my body mentally training my body trying to train my emotions sessions with people it's all stuff inside me and i think when you feel worse after all these others or you're scared of take a time to just look inside, like feel your body and just realize like, man, look, I got 10 damn toes, not nine, not eight, 10. Those things like, cause I'm sure when I'm a multimillionaire, I'll still be like, Oh, but then I'm reverted back down. Like I've seen Israel do like at the end of the day, I got my health right this second. It's all good. Um, hopefully you can word that in a way that makes sense. <laughs> That's pretty one one last question. What's the what's the best piece of advice you've been given? Man, there's a few. Oh, this is I used to live by this quote, but maybe No, I still live by this quote. Pain is weakness leaving the body. And that's been a, com for me, like your best quote, anyone in life, they've all got their best quote, but it changes over the years. Eh? I've heard that quote for 15 years now and it's changed over the years. Like really, there was a point where that quote was bad for me where I was like, this mental pain or this pain, I was physically putting my body through pain because I thought I had weakness up here. It's, um... Yeah, I'm going to put that. That's the one. Pain is weakness leaving the body, but it's it's more complex even than I can feel it now because, yeah, sometimes crying pain was like, we, yeah, pain is weakness leaving the body. That's my, um, probably the best quote. It's done the most for me in my life. I want, one of my, what the quote I wanted to say is, um, no, I know the quote, but it won't make sense to people. It's when you know the way in capitals, you can see it in all things. That is Miyamoto Musashi speaking on 
martial arts is his way. UFC uh, MMA is my way. Your your storytelling and conveying a person's story to others is your way. And there's different ways. There, sorry, there's different techniques and skills and stuff with your way. But when you if you come to my gym, you'll see man, they're all the same skills, interpersonal relationships. Um, even like subconscious things like body language and stuff and being present in the moment, all of that and every industry will call it, they're all mm. similar. So yeah, when you know the way broadly, you can see it in all things.